when I was a kid, my mom used to come in my bedroom in the middle of the day and I'd be laying in my bed with my hands behind my head. And she's like, what are you thinking about? And I'd be like, I'm thinking about basketball moves. I, I, I'm thinking about moves on the court. I've always been a visual person. And so now it's like the majority of my thoughts outside of, you know, the well-being of my kids and my wife is my golf swing and, uh, you know, shallowing the club and turning the hips. It's like, it's, it's ridiculous. Welcome back to the Golfer's Journal podcast presented by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. My name's Tom Coyne. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm just back from Florida, as you can no doubt tell from the tan, where I spent a couple days at the wonderful Streamsong Resort, played in an event there. And on one of those days, I very confidently wrote my name on the long drive placard and planted it into the soil and thought, what did I win? It was over 300 yards for me, exceptional distance, uh, feeling very confident, only to find out that later, a man named Bert crossed my name off and wrote down his own. And I thought, Bert, who's Bert? Bert is either a cheater or a superhuman. Uh, well, I played with Bert the next day and, of course, figured it out. Bert was gaming the TSR3 from Titleist. Now, forget the fact that I was also gaming a TSR driver. Uh, Bert has more swing speed. There you go. But Bert hits bombs. And if you want to play like that, uh, the new TSR drivers, they take everything that made the TSI the number one driver on tour and pack even more performance into every head. So get to Titleist.com and schedule your driver fitting today and be more like Bert. Big time guest joining us today. Uh, first round draft pick, Duke all-time leading scorer, uh, NBA sharpshooter, and now a very popular basketball podcast host and commentator, J.J. Redick. Regardless of how you feel about Duke, I wouldn't consider myself the biggest Duke fan, uh, I think you're going to find JJ is really interesting. He's very thoughtful and he's crazy about golf. So he's certainly in the right place. And it was wonderful that Casey Bannon, our producer and brand manager at the Golfer's Journal, that he could join us for this one. Unbeknownst to me, when we, when we met JJ for the first time, Casey was the unofficial president of the JJ Reddick fan club as he was growing up. So it was cool to have him on this one with us. Very quickly, though, before we get to JJ, from our events calendar... Our event at the new King Collins Masterpiece in Nebraska. Yes, of course, Landman, Landman, Landman. However you say it, it doesn't matter. What matters is that that's going on sale March 21st. Mark your calendars. 36 holes on pretty much the most talked about course in golf right now. So no better way to see it than with your fellow Broken Tea Society members. And this is cool. We know we dropped the ball by not scheduling any events in Canada this year. Apologies. Uh, I wish we could blame it on Foster's questionable legal status in Canada, but that's not that wasn't the issue. Foster is free to free to cross that border, so we're gonna say sorry for that to our northern friends by offering this. This this is a pretty good deal. Canadian members get up to thirty five dollars off your shipping costs, so get shopping. Uh, and we are trying to get a Canadian event on the calendar for next year. And we're doing our best. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to keep using that referral code from your member locker to keep winning things. Keep referring to your friends if you like what you hear here, if you like what you're seeing in the magazine or online. Please tell people about it. We really appreciate all your support, and we appreciate members like JJ Reddick who take time uh, to jump on the podcast with us and talk about what three pointers have in common with three footers. JJ, 
AJ, thank you so much for coming on the pod, man, and taking the time. We really appreciate it. This is your, obviously, your very busy time of year. Uh, the NBA going full force. Also, you can still probably play some golf, but uh, we're going to talk about your life in golf and, and your life in the NBA as well. You might recognize my colleague here and good friend Casey Bannon uh, on the screen because I don't know if it came through when we did meet. Uh, at we, we had a chance encounter at the bridge, which was really fun and is going to be uh, the bridge is going to pop up in some of our editorial content in the golf journal. We don't want to talk too much about that yet, but you remember at the bridge. So we want to talk about your golf life, your NBA life. My, Casey and myself happen to be there working on something. And um, it turns out uh, you were having breakfast there and you are Casey's number one favorite athlete basketball player in the world. So um, if he does get any words out in this podcast, I said he has to come on. I usually do this by myself, but Casey had to come on this one. Um, so we'll see if he is able to speak. You'll see he is wearing his Orlando Magic starter uh, jacket, I believe. <laughs> I don't think he wears that every day. I just noticed that, which is crazy. I just noticed that. That is, that is elite. That is elite. Yeah, I'm sorry if it brings up any sort of PTSD or anything. I just thought it was a nice, it was a nice tribute. Um, and it's a pleasure to be to to be in your company. I will say that no one has ever given Tom Coyne a run for the elite logo combination. Um, but this is a pretty strong True. one too. You've got going on. Troubadour you know and crazy I, uh, strong. I, I have become just, uh, you know, I'm obviously obsessed with golf, but with gear, you know, and it, it, I've had to like sort of dial back. So I, yeah. I typically just buy like the pop out uh, ball markers, you know, where the little coin pops out. So I'll get, mm -hmm. I'll get a few of those at every course I play, give two to my kids, uh, keep one for myself. Because you you know you you start playing a lot and every time you go in a club shop uh, or uh, you don't need, you know your pro shop you don't need to be, buy fifteen different items. But I am a I'm a logo whore when it I'm a logo whore. This is this is a muted. I mean they're both great tracks, but this is a muted logo display. <laughs> oh, you're the logo guy. Got the belt, shirt, quarter zip hat. No, dude, trust me, I've been there. Well, it's the only time like and it's obnoxious too because it's usually someplace like kind of fancy because that's when you do your, your most at least that's when i do most of my shopping if i get the chance invited if i go to oakmont i go crazy and yeah. you know so then i walk out the next day and i've got like oakmont from head i'm just like oh i look like such an ass um but yeah. it is it is it is what it is um casey you, just to bring this up uh since you have the orlando magic on there you told me this great story after we met um jj that morning uh about a birthday trip um, do you want to tell us about that? A very special, your, your, your best birthday ever just to embarrass. We'll just get this off the top. Embarrass you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, let's just rip the bandaid off. Um, it, it's one of the sadder birthday gifts I think of all time, but I, I wanted, I was living in Northern Virginia and I wanted to see you play in your rookie year, uh, in Orlando and I couldn't get tickets to the wizards game. So my mother was forced to buy a three game package deal um for the orlando magic um just to get to get the tickets for whatever reason i think they were selling three game five games seven games so i went and saw you um against the bobcats and was up there in the the 300 level but that's really the story i don't know what what more tom did, wanted for me that other than i i went to orlando for you so i want you to know that i mean if it was my rookie year did i even play uh you yeah you got some burn burn there okay. i think like I like you know End of second quarter, and then uh, I think like maybe the last six or seven minutes. But I, I will say the gym erupted 
you know, and any time that you came off a screen. So, it, you know, I wasn't the only one. <laughs> I no, think I think it's Jim awesome. Jim erupted in booze. I think the Jim erupted in booze. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Wizards fans were all also there was a, a strong correlation between Wizards fans and and Maryland fans. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So uh, it was not well liked in that part of the country. Oh, we definitely we want to get to that. Um, no, in case I just like that story. I think that for you to go from Virginia down to Florida to see someone play some hoops, um, I think that just uh, speaks to your to your appreciation of of JJ the basketball player. But we're going to talk about JJ the golfer as well. So, um, but I, I definitely sympathize. I was just thinking about uh, you know the logo thing, and my wife has a very. Um, it, my closet is now like a nightclub. Like if I bring a shirt in, one has to go out. Like it's a one in one out thing. Like I can't, um, it's gotten so, it's gotten so bad. If I, if I come home with a hat or whatever, one has to leave the house. So I really have to be think long and hard, uh, about the logos that I'm getting great logos at the bridge. Um, and you've been playing a lot of cool places and you're playing a lot of cool golf, but you haven't been playing that long. No, that's correct. I, when did you get into it? So, when I moved to Orlando my rookie year, I lived uh, on a just central Florida development, golf development, um, Keens Point. It was a Jack Nicholas course. Keens Point. Uh, I fairly, know that place. Fairly, fairly run of the mill. Um, yeah. And I, I played a little bit down there, but it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't really a thing. When I moved to Austin in 2013, I, I tried to get membership at Austin Country Club. There was like a four year wait list. So the next summer I joined Spanish Oaks, which is a, is a fun, fun place. Yeah. And I played like 20 rounds that summer, but then my son was born in, uh, in 2014, my oldest. So I went a long time without play. I went about, about six years without playing a round of golf. I took my sticks down to the bubble. I played three rounds prior to game starting. Cause it was the only thing we could really do to get out of the hotel room. And, uh, I was like, you know what? I knew I was going into my last year. So I was like, you know, I'm probably going to retire after this season. Like, this should be something that I can get into. And I, I didn't realize I was going to become so obsessed. And so when I, my last season ended, which was June of 21, uh, I started taking lessons and just dove right in. And yeah, the last year and five months or six months, however long it's been, I've been, uh, I've been obsessed to the detriment of uh, my marriage, to uh, the detriment of my uh, my, my working out. It's like, if I have a spare hour, do I want to go work out or do I want to no, go no, hit ball, no. hit balls at Chelsea Pierce? I, I pick, I pick Chelsea Pierce. And it's a good choice. Cause you know, family health, those things will come back, but you can only have, you only have so long to golf. Um, no, but no, I, I understand that very well. So when you say obsessed, so how much are you playing? Uh, and what, where, where's your game? Um, yeah. So I had put a few scores, from the prior 12 months into the gin app when I started last June, I was a like a 21, I think, handicap. Uh-huh. Um, I'm a 10 something right now. I think a 10 Damn. nine. I think I'm a 10 nine right now. Um, I That's haven't broken 80 yet. Drop. I've shot, I've shot, uh, I've shot 83 three times. Um, and you know, these are, I think I shot 83 at the bridge once, um, shot it at, um, old Hollywood or uh, Hollywood in uh-huh. Jersey. That was, that was a great round. But so, yeah, I, I'm I'm still improving. Um, but yeah, when I say obsessed, it is like I, I tell the story all the time. But 
when I was a kid, my mom used to come in my bedroom in the middle of the day and I'd be laying in my bed with my hands behind my head. And she's like, what are you thinking about? And I'd be like, I'm thinking about basketball moves. I, I, I'm thinking about moves on the court. I've always been a visual person. And so now it's like the majority of my thoughts outside of, you know, the well-being of my kids and my wife is my golf swing and, uh, you know, shallowing the club and turning the hips. It's like, it's, it's ridiculous. And I used to, you know, as a basketball player, you'd, you'd dribble, you know, you'd, you'd pantomime, you'd dribble and you'd fake shoot. And uh, now I'm at like dinner parties and I'm like working on keeping that right elbow, you know, close to my body. It's like, it's, oh, it's, man. The, it's the worst. It's the it worst. does. It does have you. It's no. Yeah. I, and, and Casey and I can certainly relate. Um, and that's the, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, that's the beauty of it. And that's certainly obsession is there. And that's a great dude. That's 11 strokes off your handicap pretty quickly. And an 83 at the bridge, by the way, is probably like a 75 anywhere else. That's that's pretty good playing, man. Yeah, no, it's um, it's 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 getting better. It's getting better. I it was weird because that last season I had gotten a little taste of of golf. So I played a few times in the bubble. Uh, we had a you know the bubble went through mid to late October, then we had a really quick turnaround. And so I wasn't a member anywhere. So I played the bridge a couple of times and I played Sabonic and I was like, I got to join somewhere. So I had a friend who, you know, reached out to Bob and we had a couple conversations and I'm in New Orleans, you know, in the middle of the season and Bob sends me an email. He's like, you're in. I'm like, oh, this is great. But I, yeah. you know, I still, I, at that time we weren't vaccinated. So we couldn't leave our hotel rooms. We couldn't leave our apartments at home. So I had this like waiting period of like, what do I do? And I fill, and I was alone, by the way, my family was in Brooklyn. I was in New Orleans and Dallas my last year. And I filled, I would say 90% of my downtime in my apartment, a hotel room, watching golf content on YouTube. <laughs> like it yeah. was, that's the obsession started even before I really started playing. It was, I, you know, I, started like memorizing which architects did which courses. And I would watch really? like flyover videos. I mean, it was, yeah, it's just bad, man. It's bad. No, it's good. We like, <laughs> dude, welcome. Uh, that's going, but you can go down. I know that, that rabbit hole as well, going on and watching so many videos and swing tips and do this and do that. But it seems like that's helped you improve. I mean, what's the thing that's helped you the most uh, I mean, you have great teaching pros at the bridge, uh, but I mean, anyone listening would say, man, you got 10 strokes better in a relatively short period of time. Granted, you're a pretty good athlete, as we know. Um, what's been the most useful for you in, in actually in getting so much better? Um, there, there's definitely a few things, because as you guys know, it's not it's not ever one thing in golf. Um, so I've never had any instruction or advice with putting. I, I think as a shooter, and that visual component, like you just sort of have a natural feel. And I certainly like anybody else have bad putting days. That's the one part of my game that's fairly consistent. Um, but it, similar to basketball, I, I always thought to myself, to be a great shooter, you need to do, you need three things. You need some semblance of good form. Uh, you need to repeat that form over and over, reps, practice, whatever. And then from those two things, you get confidence. And so... By playing a lot, and this summer in particular, I spent a lot of time at the driving range, uh, short game area, whatnot. I I felt more confident, and you know, golf is such 
a mental game more so than anything else because it's such a static sport and you have so much time that walk from your tee shot to hopefully the fairway sometimes not the fairway but that walk hey you can be in your own head a little bit uh maybe you hit a, a bad chip shot uh you're in your head again so the the mental side of that a lot of the the, the you know confidence that you can get when you walk step on the tee or you walk up to a, a, a putting green it just all comes from from repetition and the form part look it's like i think most people's swings are a work in progress and so uh, you know, I've worked with Mike Sweeney at the bridge. I've worked with Eden Foster at Maidstone. Um, mm. Those guys have been uh, a big help for me. You speak with a wisdom beyond your years in, in golf, my friend. <laughs> uh, no, I love this. I love what you're talking about because I'm I'm very interested in thinking about talking to you that today. What are the crossovers between your basketball mental, you know, point of view and and golf? You know, so so I immediately thought, okay, are you a good putter? Um, because you were a, a great shooter. Uh, you know, folks don't know you're uh, one of the great three point shooters in college and NBA. Um, and you know, is there something about that? You know, just putting the ball in the hole. I, it, it, they're so different. But is there is there any crossover? Like, great free throw would, shooter as yeah. well, right? So I, if you can I, make I would... that many free throws, can, are you a great short putter? Right. I, I, I think the, the most similar uh, thing that can happen on a basketball court to something that could happens on a golf, golf course is a free throw. Yeah. Basketball is very dynamic. There's 10 moving bodies at all times. The balls pass to you. I don't know if I, I'm catching it on the seams or if I'm catching it off the seams. Uh, right. there, there's, you know, I, again, there's a lie in golf. There's a variance right there. You might have a good lie. You may have a bad lie. Uh, but you're not thinking I, basketball. It was, I never felt like I was a head case and I can feel that way on a golf course. So this, the static nature of a free throw, everything stops. Everybody's quiet for a second, unless you're yeah. on the road at the end of the game, but everybody's fairly quiet for a second. Uh, everybody else on the team is watching you and that's every shot in golf. You're standing over the ball, you know, and that's the, the thing Eden said to me, you know, we worked on some stuff with my swing tempo because I he thought I had too too slow of a backswing, um, but he was like, "Be athletic," and that's that's basketball, right? Being athletic, and mm -hmm. so, and by the way, I, that that was like three days before I went and shot an eighty three at Hollywood. Like he, you know, it's like I, that was my mantra the whole day: just be athletic, hit the ball. I found this. I kept finding the slot on all my iron shots and and wedges, and I was it was as you know as good as I can strike a, strike a golf ball. But that that's that's the similarity to me is the static nature. The second similarity is uh, muscle memory and and there's just the biomechanics. There's a muscle sequencing to shooting a basketball that is required, and there's a sequencing in the golf swing. And again, I shot millions of basketball shots. I've probably shot a couple thousand golf shots. You know, it's uh -huh. it's, it's 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 I've got a long way to go with that, but. When you're in that flow and that rhythm with your golf swing, it feels like a great jump shot. It just feels the same way. Steph, wow. I, I just had Steph on the pod uh, last week. We recorded uh, about a week and a half ago in Houston. And at the end, I, I kind of tried to, you know, it's Steph. We got to talk basketball. What I really wanted to talk to him about was uh, his golf game. Yeah. And we talked about this. The, the I think as, as shooters, you, you, you find 
the, the muscle memory, you find the visualization, you find the flow state. And when things are going really well, it feels like you can't miss on the basketball court. And on the golf course, when all those things are aligned, it feels like every time you step over the ball, you're going to hit a good shot. And it's look, it's really hard to find that, especially as a 10 handicap. It's really hard. <laughs> but when you do, it's like, fuck, dude, I can play golf, you know, and that's that's a great feeling. Wow. Yeah. You know, Casey had a question, a good question about that, that he wanted to ask you about when you are feeling like you're, you can't miss. Yeah. I just wanted to know, like, when, what you would consider your absolute the peak of that that feeling. Right. Because obviously you went through uh, you were in the zone quite often, you know, for a long yeah. time. But if is there one is there a time in particular, a game or a moment where you were just um, it was just different? Is there one that sticks with you from your career? Yeah, it, it's really weird, but it, it was the Texas game my senior year. That was the first time I really remember feeling a certain way. And again, it goes back to visualization. I remember the night before, or maybe it was Thursday night, we played Saturday afternoon in New Jersey at the Meadowlands. Either Thursday night or Friday night, the night before, I'd watched Adam Morrison play. And he had a great game and he was shooting the ball well. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, his shot pocket is really right of his head. And I thought to myself in warmups that day, I'm going to go out and I'm just going to like it's a feel. It's the same thing with a golf swing, right? The feel. Your 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 practice swings a lot of times, right? You're exaggerating a feel. So I went into warm ups that day, and I was like, I'm gonna exaggerate what it feels like to just move that shot pocket a little bit over. And I remember shooting the ball, you know, my pregame shooting, and then we come out for warm ups, and I'm shooting again. I'm just like, oh my god, this feels incredible. And I said to the ball boy, I was like, I think I'm gonna drop forty tonight. I had 41, you know, I, and it's so funny because in basketball and I, th th I think this way in golf as well, like I could have a good shooting game. I could have a good shooting game and be uh, five for 11. It's it, to me, I wasn't ex as concerned with results as I was the field. I could have a, you know, a, a bad, you know, or uh, I'm sorry, I could have a bad shooting game and shoot five for them. I had a good shooting game and shoot seven for 12. And I'm like, it didn't feel right tonight. I need to go back tomorrow morning and work on that feel. And so I, I had some of my best shooting games. Guess what? I missed 10 or 11 shots, but they all felt great. You know, that Texas game, I was 13 of 24 from the field. It wasn't like I was 18 for 18. It was 13 of 24. I missed 11 shots, but they all felt pretty damn good. How about uh, that? JJ Reddick's first swing thought came from Adam Morrison. <laughs> the Genesis. There you go. <laughs> but that is a very golf. That is a very golf thing, right? Like the idea that you know you can go out and shoot a really good number, but you can feel like you're you're faking it around the golf course, right? And then you yes. can have days where the score just doesn't align, but the the club is in the slot, and it, it's sort of a uh, sort of distancing yourself from, from the outcome, which is, uh, which is important. I was recently, I think you can even have it on a hole, right? Not even, yeah, right, right. every shot is, you know, sometimes you, you may only need one good shot to score well on a hole. Sometimes you may need two, depending on a tee shot or your approach shot. But I was playing two weeks ago in San Francisco and I, 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 I couldn't have hit my drive more right. And they were like, no, 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 you're going to be fine. There's a little opening there. 
to, to get up on the green. And I had this tree branch in front of me and I'm like, all right, the bunkers on the right, the it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the, the pin is protected by these bunkers on the right. It was like a back, right pin placement. I'm like, but I've got to hit a draw. So I've got to essentially hit this perfect shot. I'm in my head. I don't feel in the flow state. And I skull fuck one down the hill through the fairway. It hits the slope and it rolls up to eight feet in front of the pin. And I two putt for par. I didn't walk away from that hole feeling good about myself. <laughs> I felt awful. I felt like I couldn't play golf, but the result was a par. <laughs> Can you tell us where you were in San Francisco? Uh, I was at Cal Club. Yes, you were. <laughs> Fist pump from Casey. Yeah. A favorite of us at the Golfer's Journal. That's a great spot, isn't it? It's a favorite of mine. That place is special. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're playing some special places. You belong to a special place. Now, I'm interested, so your mentality as a shooter, right, in basketball, you want the last shot. Now, do you do you feel, are you in a place in golf where you want to, I guess, is there an equivalent in golf? I guess if you're on a scramble team, you know, I, I want to hit that butt. Or, uh, but do you look forward to the moment? Do you feel that competitive drive carrying over, you know, especially maybe as someone who's, you know, now you're recently retired from, from, uh, basket, from professional basketball, is golf sort of uh, scratching that competitive itch for you? Yeah, I, um, I've I've seen mental health professionals since my time at Duke, and I have been seeing a, a therapist slash performance coach uh, for the last three and a half years. We talk intermittently; it's not like a regular weekly thing, but we talk intermittently, and he really helped me let go of that one percent and be able to say. I am retired. I mean, I was 99% of the way there for close to a year, but it was so hard to let go. And he helped me through that process. And our next session, we kind of reflected and we kind of looked forward. And one of the exercises that we did, we said, what is it about your, your previous thing that you want in the next thing? Hmm. And I, it came down to performance anxiety. I love that feeling. I love that sort of nervousness. Uh, I like the high you get from after performing. Uh, it was competition. Um, and it was collaboration. And so for me, golf is the ultimate competitive sport. I can go play around. I can go walk at the bridge, put, put my bag on the back of my uh, back, go walk around for, you know, two and a half, three hours. I'm competing against the course. I'm competing against myself. I'm competing against my handicap. I'm doing all those things. I can go set up a game with my buddies and we can have 2v2. We can play a Nassau closeout. I'm competing. And in golf, it's no different than basketball. Like I want to feel like I'm having an impact on winning. I will, if it comes down to a match on 18 and I've got, let's say I've got a stroke, like I'm like, all right, I'm going to par this net birdie and I'm going to win the, I'm going to win the, the, the match force. If it comes down to a putt, I want that putt. I want that action. I want it. <laughs> it also, I mean, it, a lot of it just stems from uh, having, just a belief in self and a little bit of irrational confidence. Like we all sort of need that a little bit, especially on the golf course. Absolutely. Um, is it tough going are, do you still play any basketball? Uh, or are you, do you, is it one of those things you have to walk away from and say, all right, I'm, I'm not gonna, do you still run yeah, with as, as a, 
as a player, I said I would always say to myself, there's no way I'm ever playing. I'm not going to go play pickup at the YMCA right. when I'm done playing. And that's been true. I I will play with my kids. I will shoot around with them. I yeah. put them through drills. Um, I enjoy doing that. But I I the basketball career that I had was very unexpected to me. I didn't think I would have this success I had at Duke. I didn't think I would have a 15-year NBA career. The reason I did was because I had to put so much into it. I wouldn't have survived. And so by the end of it, I was physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausted. And I mentioned those three things. Like I didn't mention shooting a basketball. That's not what I miss. I miss being part of a team. I miss performing in front of 20,000 people. I miss competing against the best at something in the world. That's what I miss. I miss those feelings. Um, I had enough dopamine hits in my life seeing the ball go through the basket. I don't I don't really need that anymore. I can get the dopamine hits on the golf course and it's way less sure. taxing on my body. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it would be cool to show up at the YMCA though and try and and want to run with fools. It'd be like that Charles Barkley commercial. Uh I'll take Reddick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I get asked I get asked by my friends in Brooklyn. They'll like shoot me texts and be like, hey dude, uh we're down a man Wednesday night. Can you play <laughs> yeah, with us right. in our league, in our men's league. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. maybe one day maybe maybe one day i don't know maybe one day but then you go from i want to talk get into your basketball a little bit more but going from someone who is at the at the height of your game golf is so humbling did did you initially uh now it's gotten its teeth into you so it doesn't matter but initially is it that is there there, i always wonder this about world-class athletes that, that that turn to golf it's like man um is it tough being humbled once you're used to excelling on such a such an elite level yeah i would say my first venture into golf the few rounds i played in orlando uh the summer you know summer and a half that i got to hit you know a few courses in austin that was really humbling um it was i you know i never up until i joined the bridge i'd never gone to a driving range to hit balls i rarely hit balls before a round i would just show up to the first tee and let's go whack it around for four and a half hours or however long it took but that was really humbling because i was like this this seems like and i'd go play with guys i'm like this guy's not an athlete and he'd hit it 320 yards down the middle Mm -hmm. with the baby draw and i'm like how is this possible you know how's this possible it was so humbling and when i really got sort of the the bug uh in in late 2020 early 2021 even before i i had a full summer of of playing i i just looked at it as a process in the same way i looked at getting better at basketball and so there are certainly days where i get in my car after a round at the bridge and i drive the 10 or 12 minutes back to my house and i'm like man i really suck and maybe maybe this isn't going to be a thing where i can become like a low handicap but at no point in time have I said to myself, nah, this is something I don't want to do anymore. Right. <laughs> it's there, there's, there's been a sort of a variation between these two different golf experiences that I've had. I think you're on the, tra- on the trajectory to a very low handicap and you got the hand to eye coordination going for you. And that really cannot be uh you can't teach that. 
and it can't be underestimated for sure. I mean, and so speaking of your career, 15 year, 15 years, you said in the NBA, um, what was your favorite team to play for? And why was the, why was it the uh, Philadelphia 76ers? I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I look at, he's shaking his head. I look at, uh, yeah, I look at 15 years and I probably had four really special groups. I would say my first year in Philly, uh, we weren't projected to win more than I think 33 games or 34 games, something like that. That was a cool team. We won 16 in a row to end the regular season. We got the second round of the playoffs. We were 52 and 30. We were actually, I think, 14 and 18 on going into the Christmas Day game. We won that in New York and went 37 and 12 the rest of the way to win 52 games. That was a special group. My first two years in with the Clippers, those were special groups. And then those Orlando teams, 09, 2010, those were special groups. So I guess five, five years, you know, five times in 15. But it's weird, and you know, oh, shit. Motherfucker. Sound, you're good. You're going to have to edit this. My screen, I, sorry, I got was getting a phone call and my screen for some reason went away. Let me just find this. Oh, you're good. Oh, there you are. There you are. Let me put this yeah. on do not disturb. Um, that's that's not to that's not to say I didn't enjoy the other eleven or ten or eleven years, but you know, there's basketball is so much built on fit and timing, not just on the court but off the court. And even though I didn't win a championship in any of those years, of course, you know, we of course made the finals in 09, but it's like those those years I look back on and they were magical. There yeah. was just something very magical about going through a season with those guys, the staff, you know, the training staff, the coach, it was just, it's, it was just beautiful. And I'll always, I look back at my career. I don't, I'm not like looking back at like, Oh man, I can't believe I ended up in this place for two months. Like I, I enjoyed every group I was with. I, I really did. It's just that some of them were just so functional. The group dynamic just worked so well um, that it's it's hard not to feel a certain sense of nostalgia and and love for those groups. Well, you played on some special groups in college as well. All time leading scorer at Duke. Um, Duke, yeah. So, <laughs> um, the uh, why do people why do why, why that's do, what I want to get into like why why why, 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 why do why do you hate Duke why do you have a negative attitude because it's Duke. Duke I think I think for like my generation a lot of it comes from the uh, the Christian Leitner Bobby Hurley holier than thou better than you perfect um, I don't know that there was something about that that just was kind of like icky and frankly the resentment because they were very good um, and they seemed to do it and be better and we'll do it in a better way. Um, Hey, I went to Notre Dame and I think people, a lot of people hate Notre Dame for putting off that same vibe um, of that holier than now. And and I feel like maybe Duke does that in, in basketball. So um, I don't know, Casey, what do you, what are your feelings on Duke? Well, I love Duke, but there are really only two options. Um, So I've, I fall into the love category. Um, I I am glad that you're self-aware enough to point out that you went to Notre Dame, which I I I think, I know. 
if you look up holier than thou in the dictionaries, a golden <laughs> helmet pops up. Um, That's what Notre yeah, Dame actually means in French. It's holier look, than thou. When you're when you're a kid in the early 2000s and love playing ball and uh, prefer to stay as far away from the the paint as possible, um, you know, and you you don't have a college team that you're attached to, there's only one home for you, you know. So um, it, it's very much in the Yankees, I guess genre. It's a it's a it's a national brand, and I think that I, I've yet to hear a compelling case as to why people hate duke uh, for example you say it's it's because of duke um it's because of christian leitner you know there's never really been any compelling argument as to why uh, other than those things yeah i hear you but you feel you, i'm sure JJ, you're obviously aware of it and you you felt it you alluded to the to the maryland fans yeah what's the story with them no i i definitely felt it um part of the reason i had to go to therapy. Um, no, no Maryland fans, uh, they were, they were probably more crass than other student sections. Although there were other student sections that were crass at times. Um, but I just, I remember going to Duke lifelong dream fulfilled. And I had wanted to go to Duke because of Christian Leitner, because, you know, he makes that shot against Kentucky to beat them. In Philadelphia, I know. Uh, to go to the Final Four, they end up repeating as champions. And I turned to my parents when he made that shot. I said, I'm going to play for Duke someday. Keep in mind, I had, at that point in time, I had yet to play organized basketball. Um, <laughs> so it was like a lifelong dream. And then my freshman year starts. It's much harder than I anticipated. And then we go for our first real road game. It's at Clemson. We come out for warmups. And the student sections out there and just everyone is directing their animosity of Duke, their hatred of Duke. They're just directing it at me. And that went on throughout my freshman year. And by halfway through my sophomore year, I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. And I, I actually wanted to quit. I, I called my sisters over to campus. They live in Raleigh. They called them over to campus um, in December, right before Christmas break. And I was like, I think I'm done. I think I'm, I, think I just want to go be a really? student, take classes, be a normal human. I mean, we're all normal, but as a 19 year old, I didn't have that perspective. And, uh, yeah, they talked me out of it. Thank God they did. Didn't mean yeah. the rest of my sophomore year went well. It got worse and worse. I hit rock bottom, uh, coach K and, uh, the coaching staff at Duke and some wonderful people at Duke helped me out of it. And that summer in between my sophomore and junior year, I just sort of rededicated myself, but I also got even more disciplined. I still have this sheet. Uh, it's got my wake up time, my check-in time, my class time. It's got my full workout schedule. When I eat my meals, I was required to carry a jug of water around campus all day. It was like 225 at the end of my sophomore year. I went into the first week of practice at 192 my junior year, um, won every conditioning drill and got national player of the year, got ACC player of the year. Our team sort of overachieved that year. We had like seven scholarship players and we ended up with the number one seed, lost to Michigan State in the Sweet 16. But that set the, the precedent for how I went about the rest of my basketball career. And 
you know, I, if it wasn't for my experience at Duke, if I'd gone to another place, I'm not sure that I would have had a 15 year career. It wasn't just playing for coach K and, you know, getting to take a bunch of shots my junior and senior year. No, it was like going through that trial. It helped mature me and it gave me a foundation of work, which translated to the rest of my life. Wow. So no, I don't, I don't personally hate Duke. (laughs) No, no, Duke is a damn. So talk about that coming. I mean, for, for people that feel like they've hit rock bottom or, or have had enough of hearing about what so-and-so thinks of them. What's that process? How do you, how do you come out of you work your way out of it? Is it sounds like there was a, a process and a, um, you know, carrying around. Tell us about that process. Yeah, it was, there was a stage of rebellion, um, a stage of acting like a frat kid off the court, acting like an asshole on the court. It was a little bit of that fight or flight where so many people were like, uh, I look, I'm naturally, uh, I don't know what the word is. I'm naturally probably an asshole in the sense that I'm sarcastic and, you know, I kind of just generally speak my mind and, um, I bring energy to a locker room. I bring energy to the court. Like I've always been that way, even as a freshman in high school. And I remember we're playing at one of our rivals. I hit three threes. My first game playing varsity hit three threes in the first minute and a half. And I hit the third one in front of the bench. And I turned to the coach and I was like, who is guarding me tonight? And like, I just always, I've always been that way. I can't help it. It's just, it's just, but I had to, I had to sort of go through therapy and, and get, comfortable with myself um and my ego structure at 18 19 years old you know with all this stuff being directed at me uh fans from maryland getting my phone number calling me 30 times a night telling me i'm the antichrist telling me terrible things about my family and what they're going to do to my sisters like I, i was just like i'm not prepared for this and so eventually you know that rebellion uh, on and off the court, it caught up to me. And by the end of my sophomore year, I was out of shape, overweight. We lost in the final four. Coach K told me the reason we lost and the reason we weren't NBA, you know, national champions was because I wasn't worthy to be a champion. That made it worse. Uh, and then so for like a month or so, I just got off the grid. And I remember <clears throat> sophomore year, or this is summer school had started now after sophomore year, and I'd gotten in hadn't gone to class all semester. So I had an incomplete in this history class. And I told my parents I was going to finish it at Duke. I told Duke I was going to finish it back in Roanoke. And I was literally just hanging out at a buddy's apartment. And I'd, you know, I'd wake up at noon, go get a burrito, watch some movies, party, go to bed at three, four o'clock in the morning. I did that for two weeks. And I woke up one morning, there's banging on the door. And I go downstairs and it's, it's Coach Collins and Coach Wojo. And I had such a sense of relief. I was like, oh, man, they're here to save me from this spiral. They're here to save me. And they took me to Coach K's office. And he was like, look, we're going to get you the help you need. I saw um, a psychiatrist that summer. I saw a therapist who I continued to use, uh, the same person, until I graduated. And Coach K put me on this plan that uh, that I mentioned, hourly plan. Uh, they didn't let me play USA basketball that summer. They're like, you know, we're going to, we're going to wrap our arms around you and we're going to just, we're going to get you right. And so like, there's an element there of needing someone to help you out. And 
it was the first time in my life that I was like, oh, I need someone to help me, right? You know, I was self-driven, self-motivated. I didn't need AAU coaches to yell at me. I'm like, no, I, I'm good. I'm going to go hard. I'm going to play hard. I'm going to compete. You don't need to, you don't need to do all that. I'm, I'm, I'm good. And that was the first time I was like, I need help. And I need to figure out what's going on in my brain. Um, and so between coach and, and my mental health professionals, like they just got me, they got me into a great place. Uh, that's not to say like the rest of my career was some straight linear trajectory towards, you know, 15 years. Like I didn't, I mentioned, I didn't play my rookie year, my sophomore year, I played less. Um, I had major shooting slumps. Uh, even the time, you know, my second year in Philly, it was a, it was a weird group, you know, personality wise, it was a lot of like moving parts. And by the end of the season, it was just like so tense. And I remember having a panic attack and warmups in Houston. I shot one for 10 that night and I got home and I just was like, <laughs> I can't make a shot. I was like distraught with my wife. Um, and so, yeah, it like, but I, I had the tools then to like mm. deal with this. I had the experience right. to deal with this. So like that, that period of time in your life, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate that I had it at 19. Like it, it helped shape me. Wow. Thank you. I mean, that, and that's going to help people listening as well. And, and that help getting, getting help at that age. And, and I, I love talking about how still having those tools to use, Cause right. Life doesn't, it's not all rainbows after you, you know, yeah. after you yeah. get, you know, you get some help, life still shows up. But if you have those, if you have some tools for, for how to, uh, how to meet it, um, that's pretty fantastic. The only thing I don't like about that now, I like, now I think I like coach K you've, ru <laughs> you've ruined that for one of my favorite villains in sports. Real that's quick. Really, I have to tell real, really real cool. quick story is just that I, he obviously retired at the end of last season and I went back to Raleigh this weekend, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, to see my three sisters and my parents and my nieces and nephews. And I had some free time Saturday afternoon. So I had texted him earlier in the week and I was like, hey, cool if I stop by your house. So I drove 35 minutes from my parents' house uh, and just sat in his living room with his wife for like an hour and a half and just caught up. And it was like the best hour and a half I've spent in a long time. I mean, he's just, he's just the best. And it's so weird to me because there are a lot of things that are said about him and his greatness and the person he is and the character and the coach that he is. And there are things he's probably, he probably wishes he had done differently. And so people always like to point to that stuff, but I will say everything that has been said about him in a positive manner, they're all true. And then some, and I have the greatest dad in the world. And Tom, I know you wrote about, as I mentioned this to you when I saw you, that relationship with your father, and how that was sort of narrated throughout uh, a course called America was so beautiful. And I had that same just attachment and love for my dad. And look, my dad's one, coach is two, like in terms of a influential figure in my life. He's the man. That's fantastic. Now I really like him. That's all. That's awesome. Does he play golf? And is or what's he doing now? I guess he's got to learn. Are you gonna take him to teach him to play golf? Well, I think the problem, you know, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing for a golf swing, but he's got two artificial hips, two artificial knees, and potentially an artificial ankle at some point. So ah. I mean, he may have a hard time. I don't, 
Coach Collins, uh, Doug Collins' son, Coach Collins is a, grew up playing and is a good golfer. He's like a four or five handicap. And I know Wojo has uh, has played a little bit. Johnny Dawkins played uh, as well. Um, but Coach, I don't I don't even know if he ever even tried to get into it. Um, That's busy guy. Yeah, pr- pr- pretty got busy. a lot on his plate. Yeah, running around recruiting folks like yourself. Um, which does bring me to a question. There are now, it seems, I don't know. It seems like in the last 10 years, maybe because of Steph Curry and others, there's like a lot of more, it seems like more basketball players are playing golf. Um, do any come to mind that you'd want on your team in a money match? Are there any that you, or are there any you'd like to play against? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I would like, I think it'd be, if I had to like build out a foursome, I would put Steph in there. I would put Kyle Lowry in there uh, because I like, I like talking shit on a golf course and Kyle like me is a sarcastic prick. Um, And I would probably, ah, my fourth would be tough, but I, I'd, I'd probably choose Iguodala. Iggy. Yeah. Iguodala. Just cause like, I think it'd be fun to spend four and a half hours with him and Steph on a golf course and hear some of the stories from this warriors dynasty, this warriors run over the last eight years that maybe you wouldn't hear publicly. I think that would be super interesting. Uh, And I'll take Steph on my team. You know, I'll I'll take, I'll take the best golfer of the bunch. I'll take him on my team. (laughs) Give it a lot of shots though, but um, no, that's a lot of shots to me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, that's cool. Um Casey, you had a question. I have lots of questions. Uh just on that Steph topic, just on the Steph thing, uh you know, there's a weird sort of you know, duality with when you came into the league and you're on you're playing with Dwight Howard who at the time was sort of like the prototypical star, right? And there was there were some questions as to how your skill set fit in that league at that time when you play golf with Steph or talk with Steph, does Steph ever bring out the card, the trash talk card that I maybe lengthened your career and made you a whole lot of money? <laughs> it's a good question. I I actually think I started my peak before he changed the game. Mm. I, I think he changed the game once Kerr got there. And he had had some big games before, but when you look at sort of his volume on threes, like it exploded once he got with Kerr. I, you know, I was, I was in Orlando. I just, Stan viewed me as a, as a, as a vent, as a bench player. He didn't view me as a full-time starter. So I went to doc and the Clippers in 13, 14. And that was the full first time, like, all right, we're going to run plays for you. We're going to run you off screens. We're going to use your movement. I had done a little bit of that my previous year. Stan had gotten fired and Jacques Vaughn had come into Orlando. Jacques came to me and said, hey, I want you to be our man Ginobili off the bench. When you're in, we're going to run plays for you. But it was the first time. That was the first time really that I got plays called for me. But our offense was a little different. You know, it was a lot of passing and cutting. So I got back cuts a lot. We used our bigs as passers out of the high post. I went to Doc. It was like, we're just going to run you off screens. You shoot as much as you want. And Chris empowered me, Blake empowered me, DJ empowered me. So I I don't know that Steph lengthened my career. I think this whole, like, you have to give credit to Maury, too, and the analytics movement. But you mentioned it. When I came in the league, like, there weren't a lot of high-volume shooters. And even 
the Phoenix Suns teams that were so good that were the seven seconds or less, their pace of play would be close to last in the league now. Like it is <laughs> wow. just like, yeah. how can we create a good shot and just take the shot? And a lot of times that's just through spacing, dribble penetration, drive and kick, using the threat of a three-pointer to create layups. The Warriors do that better than anybody. They use stuff off the ball. His threat of just catching and shooting allows Wiggins to back cut, allows Draymond to find people from the high post. So, yeah, I, Steph, I mean, we talked about this with him at the end of our interview with him, but he changed the game. Mm-hmm. He did. He changed the game. I watched my son play in his leagues and literally every kid after every shot, patting their chest, pointing to the sky, doing the shimmy, doing the too small, doing the rock the baby. Um <laughs> doing the night night. Like I watched their shooting drills in practice. When they win, they go night night to the other, the other groups. So I'm like, oh, dude. guys are all sicko. Stay off YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, on, you know, on the topic of changing the game, I do think you must be credited with starting this sort of movement among players, uh, sort of taking, taking control of, of their own media. Right. And you're, so I think you were the first active NBA player to, you know, to do a podcast yeah. in season. I'm curious, what what were you seeing in media that that led you to sort of go out of limb and, and do that? Um, I, I was curious about media. I I wasn't I wasn't looking at it through the lens I look at it through now, where I'm sort of surveying the landscape. Social media was fairly new at the time as well. Um, I don't. I wasn't even aware that there was something called NBA Twitter, which is basically like all the, you know, all the Twitter accounts that talk about and tweet about and write about the NBA. It's like this whole community. I wasn't aware of that till we kidnapped DeAndre Jordan in 2015 and made him resign <laughs> with us. <laughs> that day was crazy. But, but so I, I wasn't, and that it was, the, it was that following season that I started my podcast. I wasn't really thinking about that way. I was just curious, like, Oh, this maybe you know, media may be something I want to do when I'm done playing. Um, Woj asked me to do a pod, and so I, you know, I did the podcast and I had no experience. I didn't even I had never listened to a podcast. I just kind of went went and did it blind. And um the novelty of it initially, I think, is what is what made it hit a little bit because it was the first time that people had heard players talking about this and heard them talking in a, in a, in a more comfortable manner than they do, you know, in traditional media. Um, so I like, I'd like to think I was a trendsetter, but it, I, I, it wasn't my, you know, ambition or my goal or my thought process at the time to, to start a trend, um, of, of athletes, you know, being able to control their narrative and start podcasts or, uh, YouTube channels. Like it, it I just kind of stumbled into it. Have you discovered golf Twitter yet? I, I dabble in golf Twitter. I dabble in golf Twitter. Yeah. What are your thoughts so far? (laughs) Um, you know, it was interesting because I got into golf and started following some accounts at the same time that the live tour was sort of getting off the ground. So a lot of what I see on golf Twitter is related to that. Um, you know, different memes and whatnot. Instagram in particular has been particular, you know, entertaining for me. I think there's some really great meme accounts out there. Um, 
and I, I'll, I'll comment on them, you know, I'll get involved. I'll get involved a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was going back to what I was talking about at the beginning with just like the obsession with golf. I would say the majority of the books uh, I read right now are golf related. The majority of videos I watch on YouTube are golf related. Uh, the engagement on social media, if it's not podcast or NBA related, it's golf related. Um, yeah, it's a it's a big part of my life. Amen. And on that note, Casey, do you want to? Casey had a, some a couple rapid fire questions for you. If you wanted to share those with, yeah, JJ. JJ, JJ can, first of all, can we? Can I ask a question? I forgot to ask. Name origins came up on another pod. That people were were interested. Are your first two initials JJ? No, no. My 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 name is Jonathan Clay. There is no second J. That's what I thought. My dad and mom were hippies. My dad was a potter and my mom was a sculptor. So they named me Clay because my dad made pottery out of clay. And I have older twin sisters. And like any four-year-old identical twin sisters, five-year-old identical twin sisters, they they said everything at the same time. So people would ask what my name was. They tried to get my attention and it always came out JJ. So I, but I've been JJ. I mean, my earliest memories are at three years old. I was JJ then. I've always been JJ. Always did. That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. Casey, did I take one of your rapid fire questions from you? You did not. Um, okay. JJ, I hope, I hope I came up with this game all on my own. Okay. Um, I noticed, you know, you are quickly becoming one of the best take formulators uh, in media. <laughs> People look forward to your takes. I think you're very good at it. Um and I know that some of the platforms and shows that you're on may put you in some different positions, may may force you to go outside your comfort zone. So uh, this is a game. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, a name or a phrase, and I just want you to just tell me what comes to mind. I, I don't think anyone else has played this game before, and I call it first take. Okay. Okay. Uh, so first one, is, I'll start a softball. The first one is uh, Rory McIlroy. Oh, Rory McIlroy. I. I think right now, I, I think he has the best swing in golf. Um, I'm jealous of his hip mobility. Mm. I'm, I'm jealous of that. Yeah. Me too. Uh, what about Greg Norman? Uh, I'm sorry, but the first thing that comes to mind is Big Cock. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. You know? We've all seen the picture. We've all seen the picture. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't know how that take is going to hold up on ESPN. I don't know. I don't know how comfortable your <clears throat> listeners and viewers are with uh... vulgarity. Uh, by the way, we are recording this. A tiger gave a great press press conference today, and I thought it was really interesting. Uh, tiger said, "Greg's got to go." That's the first thing for yeah. there to be some sort of resolution and, and <clears throat> compromise here between PGA and Liv. Um, and I know a number a number of other players have sort of echoed that, yeah. but never someone as explicitly and as with such a, a big following as Tiger. I thought that was super interesting. Did he say it was because of his phallus? <laughs> Didn't that come up? <laughs> well, I mean, we can do we can say, you know, I should have said dick because he's a dick, right? He's a dick and he's got a big dick. All right. <laughs> there we are. So that's the official live take. I like it. I like it. Um 
This one's uh, this is just a personal curiosity of mine. Two thousand six LSU men's basketball. Mm. You know, I get I here's my take. <laughs> they had a great game plan. They had I'm going to give a take in a second, but I they had a great game plan. They also had some really good individual defenders. Garrett Temp- Temple, in particular, gave me a lot of problems. He's way bigger than me. He's got a better wingspan than me. He really bothered my shot. The times I did drive by him, I've got Big Baby. I've got Tyrus Thomas back there. They're contesting me at the rim. Like it was that team in terms of like the makeup of our team and the makeup of their team. It was a bad matchup for us. It was a bad matchup for me. I want to say one thing though, and I've, I've, you know, maybe I've never said this publicly, but I want to say, like, I get such a bad rap from fans because if you look at the games that we lost to end our NCAA tournament runs, I always had a sh- bad shooting game in those games, right? And my response to that is, well, no fucking shit. For us to win, I had to have a good shooting game. <laughs> like, that's just, it was built into the identity of our team. And like, there was some, yeah, there was some pressure there to have a good shooting night. Unfortunately, three for 18 against LSU is not going to get it done. No. Um, that was great. We got the exclusive. T- like, that was awesome. I <laughs> wanted to know. Did, did going from the intimate Cameron indoor setting to the stadium, does that affect the shooting performance at all? I Yeah, I never liked shooting in those domes. I mean, we played the Final Four in the Alamo Dome. We played uh, the Sweet 16 that year, and Atlanta was at the Georgia Dome. And it, it's just – like, I remember my first game in the Roanoke Civic Center. <laughs> you know, probably sat 5,000 people. But it was bigger than our gym, which sat 950 people at Cave Spring High School. I remember my first game – uh there i i we were playing uh george washington danville which is the defending state champions in triple a in virginia uh which was our class and we won and i had like 32 points i had 25 in the first half they didn't realize that i you know i could shoot nba range three so they weren't really guarding me at 27 feet and i was just bombing away and my coach after the game said uh something about like you know i was curious to see how he would shoot in a bigger arena because you know he's going to have to get used to that because he's going to play a lot you know in college he was talking about play a lot in in bigger arenas i never would have expected to play in you know stadiums that could hold 80,000 people it's yeah. a totally different feel it's a totally different sideline even even going to like last year i went as a fan to the final four in new orleans or in 2010 i went to duke national championship game when they beat butler uh which was at lucas oil field and as a fan i'm like how are these guys making shots in here? Like I, it's, it's so weird. Mm-hmm. The, the optics of shooting a basketball in a giant stadium. Yeah. Okay. I just have two more for you. Uh, golf course architects. Mm-hmm. Favorites preference taste. Yeah. Oh, man, you are going to get you're, I'm going to get in trouble for takes here. I'm going to get in trouble for takes here. Look, yes. my favorite, my favorite course, uh, and probably two of my top three is Alistair McKenzie. But I will say this. Uh, I'm obsessed with Corin Crenshaw. I think those guys are incredible. I haven't done Bandon yet. I'm doing it uh, this summer, this coming summer. So I'll get another taste of one of their courses there. Uh, the um, Friars had an old sandwich. Mm. Like in terms of playability, optics, uh, 
bunkering, uh, the greens, I, those two places are as enjoyable of a round of, of golf as I've ever had in my life. And so I would say Corn Crenshaw, favorite architects. There you go. That's not a bad 100%. take. 100%. That's a great take. That's a great take. Great okay. take. The algorithm's going to love you for that. That's great. <laughs> uh, okay. The last one is, uh, and I promise I'm done, Philadelphia Sports Radio. <laughs> we love jj we miss this JJ. is great no i i uh so i signed with philly in july of 2017 so i was commuting from brooklyn we had just moved from la to brooklyn my kid had gotten my oldest had gotten into a a, a school and we were prepared i thought i was going to sign with houston on a four-year deal. So we were prepared. We were already looking sort of at, you know, we were on Trulia the three days leading up to free agency, looking at houses in River Oaks neighborhood in Houston. Chris had just gotten traded there. So I talked to him. So I thought we were going to Houston. We were going to move the family to Houston. We were already talking, you know, we had a, we had a uh, less than a one-year-old, we had a 10 month old at the time. So we were going to, the nanny was on board, you know, we were going to, we were gonna all moved to Houston. And I signed a one-year deal in Philly. My kids in school, we just moved into our apartment that we just bought. And we're like, all right, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to move my family for potentially six months. That doesn't make sense. Like we're going to start our little foundation base here or whatever. So that becomes public, which created this whole thing about how I was like commuting and I wasn't, I wasn't a, a Philly guy. And I remember I, I, I couldn't make the drive by myself on the turnpike anymore. I was like, it was like, got to December and I was like, I'd get out of the car and I'd be like, oh my God, my hips are tight. My back's tight. Um, so I was like, I'm going to get a driver. So I got a driver and that driver would tell me things about what they were talking about on the radio, on Philly sports radio. And I was like, I got to be honest with you, Mark. I didn't know that sports radio still exists, <laughs> but in <laughs> Philadelphia, it's still a thing. Philadelphia fans are incapable of being happy, like truly happy, unless it's a championship. Unless it's a championship, there's something that's very like as a as a fan, there's something that's very like masochistic about that. There yeah. is. I mean, I I played in L.A. and it's a different environment. It's a you know, the Clippers, especially it's not like the Lakers, the Clippers. It's, it's like uh, Clippers win. Chris Paul has 20 and 10. Blake has 22 and 8. DJ has 15 rebounds. Yay, Clippers. You know, JJ had a bad shooting night. Philadelphia, it's like. JJ had a bad shooting night. That's the story. But wait, hold on. You're not going to talk about Joel having 40. You're not going to talk about the, the Sixers beating the shit out of the magic last night. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. Now I'm sounding negative. Playing in Philadelphia was the best experience I had as a player because I love that. I will take that over apathy and indifference any day of the week. There's no better place to play sports than in Philadelphia. It's the best sports town there is. That is my take. Amen. Damn. Damn straight. No, I think you're right. You nailed it, JJ. And obviously, you know. I mean, it does masochistic, I think, is a is a is a good way of, of thinking about it because there is some like there is this uh, almost more as a Philly fan, you almost feel more comfortable being miserable. Um, and that's kind of, which is kind of strange, but, uh, and then there's that, you know, we've had a few championships and the, and the, and the explosion has been, uh, is, is just been awesome. 
man but we really and now looking back i mean people really miss you loved your you were a full effort player um and and people loved that and and you were also a piece that we've never really replaced i don't think the sixers have um we didn't know that we thought like you're the years you were here were like a bridge to like this uh you know our our legacy years of you know where mm-hmm. and, and we didn't realize it was actually the high point. <laughs> yeah. It's been it hasn't been in any it hasn't gotten any better. Uh, but in any event, JJ, you're the man. Thank you so much for for jumping on the podcast. This has been a blast. Casey, do you have any final final words, questions, or parting no. sentiments? No, I hope we can play golf together one day. But uh, that's about it. Yeah, uh, we have Tom to... and I were trying all fall to try to make it work. We'll make it work in the spring. Uh, thank you for having me on the pod. This has been a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys. And I look forward to teeing it up in Philadelphia sometime soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, we hope you'll strongly consider becoming members of the Golfer's Journal. Or if you're already a member, we hope you'll share it with your friends. As a reader-supported publication, we couldn't do it without your help. We also couldn't do it without the help of our sponsors. And they are Titleist, Scotty Cameron, FootJoy, Oakley, Link Soul, Links and Kings, Charles Schwab, and BMW. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Golfer's Journal podcast.